we are entering into a a unique season together as a family, and we're going to understand something today that uh, will kind of help us frame maybe a little more accurately who Jesus really is. That's what this is all about. We're going through and we're focusing in on Jesus in each book of the Bible. In John 5, 39, Jesus made this statement, the scriptures point to me, which makes sense because it was the book of John, and like the New Testament, Jesus was there. Except the book of John had not yet been written when Jesus was saying this. It was later that they would write all this down. So when Jesus is saying the scripture speaks of me, the scripture points to me, he's talking about the book of Genesis. He's talking about all of the Old Testament books. Uh, And so we're walking through and seeing, of, of course, the New Testament clearly talks about who Christ is. But we are going through each and every book, providing a little bit of framework, history, context, Uh, in each of those books, where Jesus is in each of those books, uh, kind of the layout of the books of of the Bible. And the the most important thing that we can do is get a better understanding of the nature of God through the study of His Word. So take a moment, pass down your notebooks if you've not already done that, take out your note card. We're going to walk through a few things today and get a little bit of uh, of an understanding of a really incredible book of Scripture. We're all the way into the prophets now, and that's what we're starting this whole concept of the prophets, and uh, you'll see the major prophets, which means they're writing prophets who wrote larger letters, and the minor prophets, those were the writing prophets who wrote smaller letters. Now, understand this as we kind of venture into this today. Um, Over several hundred years, the Hebrew people produced hundreds of very unique and special men and women, Uh, and these were prophets to the nations. And they, they were supernaturally empowered by God to speak something of an incredibly significant value to their world. Um, now, not all of them were writing prophets, and the writing prophets are those that we see in Scripture. It's going to begin with Isaiah today as we discover where Jesus is in Isaiah. But the thing that I want to make sure we understand, the prophets are kind of hard to deal with. Have you ever noticed this in Scripture? Like when you find the prophets in the Bible, they don't congenially fit into your convenient framework. (laughs) Uh, Like the prophets are, they're coming at you saying God is who God says he is, not who you want him to be. He's not just going to fit into your life. And the thing that I want to say right up front as we get into this and start talking about this, there's an element here that I believe the church of our generation has largely lost, and we want to recapture that. Uh, church has, min- in many ways, become more like therapy with good advice sermons as opposed to um, theology that really helps break it down and teaches us that, you know, the gospel is not about trying to make bad people good. The gospel is about trying to make dead people live. That's a big difference in those two. The prophets are right there making these bold declarations. So uh, we've put together just a little expression here to kind of give a, a comparison, a contrast of those two perspectives of church as we kind of get started today. So if we could play that video. I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, 
a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Are you ready to hear what you need to hear instead of what you want to hear? Jesus reveals in the prophets, people need to know the truth. Are you ready for the truth? Does anybody here admit to being slightly dysfunctional? Anybody here admit you put the funk in dysfunctional? When you settle the issue of God's love for you, you will finally stop living for the praise of others and the disapproval of your critics will no longer slow you down. I tell you, somebody's got to get in your face every once in a while and say, you're wrong. You're going somewhere you don't want to go. Wake up. So I'm just saying to you, when you show up to church, I'm going to poke you because I want you to get up and I want you to make the trip. I don't want you to settle for anything less than everything God has in store for your life, for your family, for your legacy, for your children, for your finances, for your ministry, for your expression. Come on, let's passionately pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. How about we go where God wants us to go, huh? And how many know, yeah, let's just thank the Lord. We're going to go where God wants us to go. Just because you know where you want to go doesn't mean that's where you need to be. And that's the whole point that we want to try and move into this. We've kind of seen a a real transition, and I'm going to address this very head-on today. I'm going to expose um, kind of the the Jesus that gives you your way, presentation gospel that the church has settled for. I believe God really wants us to help see something from an entirely different angle that, that the prophets bring. And in this season of evaluating book by book what these prophets have to say, this is the thing that I want to point out as we jump right into the first prophet revealed. The first written prophet is the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, the verse that we read together is a beautiful expression of really the the core value, core theme of the entire book. And so understand the name Isaiah. This is like Jesus is everywhere. Remember, Jesus is in every book. The name Isaiah literally means salvation of Yahweh. So that prophet is a a foretelling that Jesus is coming. And then that verse, uh, Isaiah 12, 2, let's just rehearse it again. Will you say it with me once again? Let's, Let's all read this together. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. That is the central theme of this particular book. But understand this, God gives victory God's way. That's a really important thing for us to understand. God gives victory God's way, not our way. And so in Isaiah, what you see, this particular book is the most comprehensive prophetic picture of Jesus of any book in the entire Old Testament. Uh, If you go to the blog this week and take a look, I break all this down very specifically for you. But in Isaiah 40, uh, you can find where there's this prophetic announcement that the Messiah is coming. And when you look at the uh, virgin birth of Christ, it's prophesied in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. The sacrificial death of Jesus is prophesied in Isaiah 52 and 53, and his powerful return in Isaiah chapter 60. And this is kind of the essence of the prophets that we understand this, the powerful return of Christ. And I I, I may say a few things today. 
I, I wrestled through this in the 930, to be honest with you, because what I'm going to say, I, I'll promise you, it, it's not going to fit the parameters of the framework of what's culturally um, ideological. But we need to not just allow what's cultural to define us. In fact, we need to not allow what's cultural to define us. We need to allow what's biblical to define us. So here's the thing. This is what's happened. Jesus came as a sacrificial lamb, loving and caring and nurturing and kicking over a few tables from time to time. We see a little bit of a dynamic and standing up in these huge public debates on a pretty intense level, uh, cornering these individuals that were mastermind thinkers of their day in religious circles. And, and so we see all these different natures of Jesus being revealed and, and, and being pretty tough, you know, like having an argument with a group of religious people calling them a bunch of snakes. And you're, you're just a bunch of snakes. I mean, that's a pretty intense thing to say. But there's not a whole lot of that conversation about Jesus. And, and this is where I think you and I really need to get a clear picture of the overall truth of who Christ is. Because Jesus came first as a sacrificial lamb riding on a donkey. And the donkey is an expression. Any king would ride a donkey into town as Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem to say, I identify with all classes of people. I'm not here on my high horse, if you will, but I literally am riding the common man's transportation into the city. That, that's what that was saying, communicating, was a common thing for kings to do in his day. But, but hear me loud and clear, guys. Jesus came first as a sacrificial lamb riding on a donkey, but he comes back as a conquering king riding a great big horse. Okay, there's an element of God that is ferocious. And the Bible describes his second coming as a king on a horse in proclamation and declaration that the kingdom of God has certain things that cannot be accepted. There's a certain level of just and, and justice declaration that Jesus makes when he's returning on that horse and on the horse and the scripture actually says it's going to be a bloody war like do you understand that there's going to be a war a battle that's going to take place the antichrist and all that depiction and everything that's in there and maybe we'll break into some of that as we start looking into these prophets in the book of Daniel what that reveals it is utterly profound. And I just say today, you and I need to recognize and understand there is a war between righteousness and wickedness. And you and I must take a bold position of righteousness, the very righteousness of God. This is an important element of the gospel that is largely neglected in our generation. Would you agree? Like, everybody just wants everybody to get along. Jesus is about getting along. Jesus is about world peace. Jesus is about nobody fighting and arguing. Jesus, you just got to understand, that's a picture of Jesus that's this effeminate sheep stroker that's put in the pictures, that's presented to us today. That's not the Jesus I serve. I understand Jesus is loving, but he will never back away from the truth to make people feel included, he will literally press in on the truth and transform their pathetic life into something meaningful that's an expression of God's kingdom. Now, I, I know, like, most of us are clapping, some of us are, what? And, and then others are like, you're kidding me. This is just very politically incorrect. That's who Jesus is. You just need to understand it. I know that this is, this is a different picture painted 
in, in a lot of circles in our world today. But, but let's, let's just look at Scripture, okay? Let's evaluate what the Bible has to say. Recognize the book of, of Isaiah is all about salvation, yet 39 chapters are judgment. Do you get that? Like, all we want to do is celebrate redemption and, and salvation, and, and he, he's coming to rescue us, and, 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 you know, don't worry, be happy, you know, all the, but listen, there's an element of just 39 chapters, the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah are all about judgment. Do you understand? He is a righteous God. What happens when you, I was watching a, a program years ago, and I'll never forget it because my girls were about this age, and, and I watched as a, a car pulled up, and there's a little girl, her daddy had given her a really nice necklace, and she's standing on the corner, and, and the, it caught it, like, you know, from the angle of, a, of one of the street cameras there, and the guy gets out of the car in the passenger side, walks up, gets next to, the, next to the girl, turns around to make sure he's got a straight shot to the car, grabs her necklace, yanks it off, breaks the chain, and jumps in the car, and the car speeds off. How many of you want to punch that guy in the face? I mean, I'm just, you know, just in all honesty, that's, that's what comes. You know why? Because there's something unjust about that action and that behavior. Listen, there is something unjust, something unjust about sin in the world, and God is going to set it right. He sent his son Jesus to redeem every one of us, but don't you think for a second that he's playing with sin. He's not. He's destroying sin, and we need to wake up out of our sin. Sin is sin, and we need to be set free. I'm good enough. <laughs> Doggone it. People aren't sure if they like me right now. <laughs> Most people believe in God. I mean, I, I've, I've done like public debate and, and private conversation with atheists, and, and what I have discovered is even atheists don't even believe what they don't even believe. I mean, it's a very confusing thing when you start trying to back your way out of it and say, I just have chosen not to believe. And Most people believe in God. Most, down at the core, most people believe in God. But the fact is, of most people who believe in God, most of those people do their best to keep, let's be honest, to keep God conveniently contained and compartmentalized in a way that He fits into their life choice. And I just, I just want to say, the prophets do not leave room for this. And we're going to go through each book and evaluate where they're coming from, what they're saying. They did outrageous things. I mean, this was phenomenal, the way they were making bold declarations and just incredible. Prophets, if you write this in your blank, prophets insist that we deal with God as God reveals himself, not as we imagine God to be. The prophets in Scripture clearly insist that we deal with God as God reveals himself, not as we imagine him to be. The, the prophets, they insist that God is at the sovereign center. Listen, we, we've kind of, the whole perspective overall, it's like, yeah, I'm going to decide if I want to, you know, maybe I'll prioritize God, and, and I'll try and keep him high on the list. I, I, listen, God's not something you prioritize as if he's one of the many priorities in your life. He was, 
He is. He forever will be. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that brings any level of comparison to God. He's the very foundation of life. Out of him comes everything. He's not something to prioritize in the list. He's where everything begins, and without him, you are utterly, completely, totally lost. We need him, first and foremost. And I know, like, we've got this idea that's broken down, and it's almost like Jesus has become much like vitamins and supplements to our lives, because, like, you want to have a great life, don't you? So you're going to, you know, give your life to Jesus, pray the prayer, and you'll have a great life. And and Jesus then becomes like vitamins. And he's not like vitamins. He's like oxygen. And there's a big difference in those two perspectives. So these men and women, these prophets throughout the ages, they yelled, they wept, they rebuked, they encouraged, they challenged, and they comforted somehow all together. Anybody here have um, like a second family when you were growing up, you know? Like some of you as you're now, you have a second family. Like you go to that house, and they're pretty much mom and dad number two, right? Uh, And so... Those types of families, like, they'll, they'll take you in, and they'll love you and embrace you and encourage you and, and correct you and direct you and get in your face. When you need, how many of you had somebody that got in your face and helped you avoid a huge mistake? Maybe more importantly, how many of you wish somebody had gotten in your face at one point in time in a spirit of love, okay? Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not here today to paint a, an ugly picture of God. I'm here to paint a beautiful picture of God. But let's not get it incorrect because we are making it incomplete. God is bigger than what we have allowed him to be. He wants his very best in your life. And any area of your life that you're withholding from him, you will not discover God's best. You've got to let it go if you're really going to live. You've got to give him every area of your life. You have to give him every area of your life. Every area. So God is not your great big therapist in the sky. That's not what he is. That is the next blank if you write it in. He's not the big therapist in the sky. The church of our generation, and you know, this is just this is the journey we're on as a church family, (laughs) as an eldership. These are the things we're talking about as a staff, as a team. We're constantly looking at this and evaluating it over and over. But largely, let's just be honest for a moment. If we open the Bible and look at it as a blueprint for the church, and then we step back from the blueprint and we look at the structure, and the structure, I mean, it's like building a house. Like if you build a house and the blueprint looks one way, and then you look at the structure and it doesn't look like the blueprint, how many know somebody needs to ask some questions? That's kind of the way it is. The church has a structure that appears a little deviated, a lot deviated from from what I'm reading, the blueprint of the Bible. And so, like, I'm not even telling you we've got it figured out because we don't. We're on a journey trying to figure this out. But one thing we're not going to do is step back from the things that the Bible clearly tells us about just in the name of trying to, you know, keep people smiling or something. I mean, let's evaluate what it is God's trying to reveal as we walk this out. And beware. Beware. The Bible prophesies and predicts a day when society 
will surround themselves, individuals will surround themselves with what the Bible describes as a great number of teachers that will tell them what they want to say that will be popular in society as opposed to what God has to say regardless of what society... How many of you know God's like, God was here before society existed. We better pay attention to him. So I want to take you to that portion of Scripture, and I want you to see it aligned with the prophets and how they're expressing this. And it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 2 to 4, and it says, Preach... The word. Now, I like that right off the bat. I like it because some people now in churches, they, talk, they call it a talk. And now Pastor Lawrence is going to give us a talk. I, I just want you to know, I'm going to preach. I, I'm not going to give you a talk. I, I'm going to preach. And when I feel like I need to spit, I'm going to spit. I mean, there's just, this is like big God trying to have a conversation with his family. And there are times, but I, I, I don't know how to explain it. There are times I'm standing here, I'm looking at you, and it's just like I'm feeling something from God that is just way bigger than words can say. And like my eyes are bulging, my veins bulging, my heart is huge, and the lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring. That's what's happening. Preach the word. Don't just give them a nice talk. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Some people say, well, I'll just have church my way. Uh, you you got to understand, church involves correction, church involves rebuking, church involves uh, encouraging. All these elements are part of being the church as a family. That's what family does. Do all these things, it says, with great patience and careful instruction. Let's watch our theology. Verse 3, for the time will come, here's the prophecy, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The Bible prophesies the apostate church in the latter days. And we see this description, and clearly, the apostate church is a church that might have a certain resemblance, yet deviated at the core from the fundamental purpose and priority of our existence. And, and let's, theology today, that's why I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to learn to read the dead guys more and more. Because the dead guys, man, they got it going on. They were intense. Like modern-day theology. Let's just look at modern-day theology a little bit. Number one, modern-day theology, modern theology is largely based on our love for money. It's the case. Like, take the verse and give a twist and, and encourage people. Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, press down, shake it together, running over. Let me just say something to you. It's really important that you give, and God wants to bless you, but that's not why you give. I mean, we've missed that. We've developed a whole theology on this thing of trying to squeeze people to get the budget met, when the fact is you should give 
Not because you want to be blessed, but you should recognize you are blessed. Therefore, our responsibility steps up as mothers and fathers in the faith. Anybody here want to raise up some sons and daughters and some disciples that will understand the love and the life of Jesus Christ and empower the next generation church to change the world? I don't want to build buildings and attract people and just get people to share. If all we're doing is getting people to come to church, then we're just contributing to the greater problem of disillusionment in our society of Christians attending church that are not being discipled. Theology today also tends to be based on our addiction to our rights and our disconnection from obligation. I just want you to know you have a great obligation to express God's kingdom responsibly. Like in just a little bit, we're going to step back into worship again. And it'll be great, great opportunity to, to worship. But what, what we're met with is the challenge. Do we stand and, and release something? Like, I don't know if you realize, but your song matters. You, you do realize in the, let's just look at the Bible. When they were singing, God was fighting. And like when the, 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 the troops were sent out, they actually sent the worshipers out front, and the song was affecting the atmosphere for everybody. Chains were breaking off. People were being set free. How many of you believe our song might actually liberate somebody in the room, somebody in the community, somebody in the city, somebody in the state, somebody in the nation, the nations of the world? I believe the church mobilized to understand why God asks us to do what God asks us to do is the church that's dangerous to the enemy. But we've largely exchanged priority for being deeply convicted because we want to be greatly encouraged. Largely, that's what we've done. We've exchanged the priority of being deeply convicted for being greatly encouraged. And this is an interesting thing. You know, Jesus wasn't addicted to affirmation. Neither should we be. Think about it. They didn't kill Jesus because he loved the poor. You understand? There was a certain level of intensity and animosity around this man we call our king, our savior. They didn't kill him because he loved the poor. They killed him because he embodied and he embraced all that was true, even when it made people uncomfortable. I want to say that again. Jesus wasn't crucified because he loved the poor. That's the picture that's painted. Just be sweet, be wonderful, be like Jesus. That painting of Jesus doesn't get crucified on a cross. So what gives? Jesus embodied and embraced that which was true, regardless of if people were uncomfortable or not. See, this is the thing that we need to understand. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you from this way. I, when I was 16, I was driving down the road, and uh, I have a scar on my face. I actually have four scars on my face. Three of them have been blended into one, and one you can't see because of my eyebrow. But I had uh, about 30 stitches, and the, had to pull it all together. 
Uh, I was driving down the road, and a car, uh, um, a car I didn't know was about to back out of a driveway, and I saw a man in the yard who I knew, and I waved. 16 years old, not very smart, didn't have my seatbelt on, back before the days of the law requirement. Uh, and I, I waved at the guy, and that was the last thing I remember. Because the car in the next driveway backed out, and when the car backed out, I was speeding, probably going 35 miles an hour or more, driving my Mustang. Man, I gotta tell you, I was heartbroken over my Mustang. I was heartbroken that my face was lacerated and that I was knocked unconscious and bloody. But when I woke up and realized my Mustang was crunched, I mean, I guess I, was, I went into deep grieving. Some of you can really feel this pain right now. But that's what happened. I was literally knocked unconscious. I uh, hit the car and slammed into the rearview mirror so hard that it broke the windshield, shattered the mirror. The mirror cut me across here and then lacerated my face. And shards of the mirror were in my face at that point. Knocked me unconscious. I'm, I'm in the seat, slumped over. The guy that I waved at, freaking out, comes over and he's trying to get me out. And my door won't open. So he's banging on the glass. And finally, I start to come to. And I can open my door from the inside. I get out. And as I'm walking around there, I'm looking, and, and I'm, all I can think about is, oh, my car. 302 boss, oh, my car. Dark blue metallic white leather seat, oh, my car. Brand new stereo, oh, my car. About that time, somebody came up, and they had a towel. And they handed me the towel. I know I'm cut. I know I'm bleeding. All I know is I've got one bad headache. And it's kind of right here. Because when I slammed into the mirror, I hit it like that. So this took the brunt of the force, breaking the windshield. But then my face rolled into the mirror. And that's where it cut me up so badly. But it hurt here. So I, I took the towel and I was holding it on my head like this. And, and the person... Uh, looked at me for a moment and they grabbed my hand and they said, no, put it here. And so I did, but you know, I'm still in shock and I'm walking around and, and uh, now the ambulance and everybody's coming. By the, I don't know, at some point I've got it back up here and the guy comes over and goes, listen, I know that might be where you have your greatest pain, but that's not where you have your greatest problem. And he explained, your face is hanging open right now. Keep the towel on your face. I, I want to just give you the statement. Whatever is your greatest pain, it may not be your biggest problem. And if we focus on the pain, we're prone to miss the point. Love never, this is, this is the crux. This, these are the prophets. This is important. Love never abandons the truth to medicate the pain. It's what we want. It's just not what we need. Love, it's just incomplete if we don't understand this. And it's totally incorrect if it's incomplete. Love is not just about making you feel better, and if it hurts there, it's okay, put it there. No, love says that might be where the pain is, but let me just help you with where the problem is. Your, your situation, you grew up and you know, neglect, abuse, different circumstances coming in your life, divorce, whatever the situation may be, bankruptcy. I always want to say to you, that might be your greatest pain, 
But don't be fooled. That's not your biggest problem. The biggest problem is something deep down in here that God wants to reach into in your life and not play games medicating the stuff that's secondary to the real issue here. And the real issue is Jesus is Lord. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to reach into your life. And I I just want, like, just if we'll just pause the music for a moment, because I, man, I'm on a roll. But as I'm saying all that, and you're cheering, you're clapping, I just sense the Lord saying, it's easy to celebrate something without digesting it. So I just want to stand before these people, Lord. And I want to invite you in this moment, reach deeply into every one of our hearts. Reach deeply past what perhaps has been the pain into a place that is the origin of the problem. In Jesus' name, if you're here and you have been focusing on the pain, and right now in this moment, God is showing you you've been neglecting the problem because of the pain, I want you to lift both your hands before the Lord. I want to pray for you. It is a very important moment. Just hold them there for a moment. Jesus, I thank you that you did not come to make us feel better about us, but you came to restore us to be who you designed us originally to be. Thank you that we're not left to feel better about something we're not even designed to be. You won't allow it. And as these many people have lifted their hands in this moment, take us, Lord, beyond the pain that we might understand more completely what the problem truly is. We invite you, we invite you to enter into this room and enter into our hearts to redeem us, restore us, every one of us at a different place on the journey. We acknowledge that you are the Savior of the world and we need you as our Savior and we need you to be Lord of our lives, dealing with us on every layer of life. If that's your prayer, If you agree with that prayer, Jesus is Lord, and you want him in every layer of your life, then I want to ask you to give him a celebration and praise right now and declare he is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is mightily at work in the midst of our lives.